This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. Are we ready to receive God's word? Um, it will trick you in your body, but you will be fine. Praise God. Verse 15, let's read it together um, one to go. If I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Praise God. The KJV calls it the pillar and ground of the truth. So the Bible tells us that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. I'm going to talk about that in later parts of the sermon, but... Um, Basically, the reason why we title this pillar and ground of the truth is because we are talking about the church. Okay, so um, just so you can know that what we are referring to as the pillar and ground of the truth is the church. Is that clear? Now, let's get into it. I have three things, three thoughts I'm going to share with us. Three thoughts about the church I'm going to share with us. Um, it's important that we try our best to follow along so that um, it will be clear. Amen. Okay. Um, the first thought I'm going to share is that we are his body. Amen. We are his body. I think you should write that down. The first thought out of the three thoughts that we are going to share about the church is that the church is his body. We are his body. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10. Isaiah is such an amazing book. Um, that chapter 53, especially for me. Um, is my favorite. I'm so tempted that we should just read everything and then when we get to verse 10, we'll focus on what I want to talk about. <laughs> but let's just read it. So let's read verse 10. Now verse 10 says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. Amen. In the KJV, it says that he pleased the Lord to bruise him. After he has made his soul an offering for sin, he will see his seed. NIV says he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. What the prophet was teaching, or what the prophet was communicating, is that the sacrifice of Jesus was not going to be a waste. There will be fruits. Amen? The sacrifice of Jesus was not going to be in vain. There would actually be fruits. It says that... Out of the womb of that sacrifice, out of the womb of that sacrifice, will come offspring. He is going to die. The Bible says he pleased the Lord that he should bruise him. It says by reason of his death, out of the womb of his tomb, <laughs> there will be offspring. There will be seed. And it says that in his seed, he will prolong his days. You know, ancient people believe that there are lineage will not end because they have offspring, right? It is not a statement of whether Jesus is alive forever or not. It is that Jesus is alive forever and is seated at the right hand of the Father. But right here on earth, his days are prolonged in his offspring. Do you understand that? Okay. So the sacrifice of Jesus produced offspring. So in John chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus said exactly the same thing. You may also write it or read it. John 12, 24. 
It's Bible study, so we should open it. Is the explanation on Isaiah 53 clear enough? Great. Okay, so John chapter 12, verse 24. It says, anyone who loves his life will lose it. No, 24. It says, very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many what it produces many seeds so what we see again is that jesus is emphasizing what isaiah said isaiah said that he pleased god to bruise him he pleased god to bruise his only begotten son we know from isaiah 53 from verse 1 to the end that he was talking about jesus right we are clear about that or you want us to read the entire isaiah 53 you want us to read it Richard. you'll only be appealing to my desire to read it okay so Isaiah 53 verse 10 already told us that by reason of his sacrifice, there will be offspring, okay? And Jesus said the same thing in John chapter 12 verse 24, that except a seed of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. So you see why it pleased the Lord to bruise him? Because if it does not fall to the ground and die, it will remain alone. Is that clear? He was talking about his resurrection. He, um, let me just read the verse before that. So... Verse 23 of John 12 says, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Verily I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So it's pleased the Lord that this grain of wheat will fall to the ground and die. Because if the grain of wheat does not fall to the ground and die, it will remain alone. But if it falls to the ground and die, it will multiply. So Jesus was saying, if I don't die, I will not multiply. So what did he multiply into? We have answers now, Abby. What did he multiply into? The church. Us. Those who have put their faith in him. And I'm going to show you that from scripture, but it's important that we follow through, okay? So that means that the offspring in Isaiah 53 is talking about who? The church. Okay? So what does that mean to us? That means to us that Jesus may not be physically walking upon the face of the earth right now, Right? Because he's, he has gone, sit at the right hand of the Father, and all of that. He's alive forevermore anyway. But he's not physically walking upon the earth. The next time he's coming, he's coming to take all of us. <laughs> Praise God. Um, I know that in your mind, you'll be like, what if he appears in a vision? That's not what I'm talking about. He can appear to you in your vision, and that's fine. But I'm talking about how that right now, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And the, the people who represent him, on earth is the church. The church is God's way of interfacing with the world. The church is God's method on earth. God's structure. It is the ground and the pillar of God's truth on earth. Every interaction with the church is meant to be an encounter with the Lord Jesus. Because the church is his body. The church is the means by which the world will know Jesus. Jesus himself will not be going from house to house, neighborhood to neighborhood, telling them about himself. The way Jesus is going to reach the world is through the church. So, that is why the Bible tells us that after he made his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hands. 
So the pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hands because the church is his body, fully functional upon the face of the earth. Is that clear? Okay. So, because of Jesus' death, he has multiplied in us by his spirit. And it is the reason why, um, let me say this way. So, by reason of that sacrifice, the Bible calls him the first begotten. Amen. I want to quickly examine that. The first begotten. God will help me. Okay. So, let me just do a quick recap and then I'll talk about this. So, again, very clearly, by reason of the sacrifice of Jesus, he multiplied himself. He brought forth offspring. The offspring is the church. If Jesus did not die, there will be no need for the church, right? But he had to die. He had to rise again from the dead. He had to go up and sit down, sit down at, the, at the right hand of the Father so that the church will be his representation on earth. Praise God. Okay. Now, because of that, he is called the firstborn. You know how that before he resurrected, before he died, it um, was called the only begotten. Of course, it's still only begotten because... Only begotten in one sense, in the sense that his birth is unique. There will never be another who will be born of a virgin. Amen? Okay. So because there will never be another who will be born of a virgin, he is the only begotten. But by reason of his resurrection, he was called the first begotten. Why? Hebrews chapter 1 verse 6. I've already actually answered my questions, but let's examine it. It's Bible study. Hebrews. My favorite book in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6. The Bible says that, and again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. You read it from verse 5 because, um, okay, you read it from verse 5. It says, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Certain manuscripts actually say that when he brings again the firstborn into the world, it talks about a second appearing into the world. If your Bible says that, reason. Yeah, it says that when he brings again the firstborn into the world, if you have the Amplified, it will say that too. So, this place, whew, this place is not talking about his incarnation. It is talking about his resurrection. I know why I'm saying this. We'll get somewhere soon. This place was not talking about his incarnation, where he was conceived of Mary, right? This place was talking about his resurrection. How do I know that this firstborn, that word firstborn, is speaking about his resurrection? The previous verse gives us an answer. It says that to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have, be I have begotten you, or today I have become your father. Now, that particular statement is from Psalm 2, right? Now, what did the apostles say about that particular statement? You are my son. Today I have become your father. Acts 13, verse 33. Um, while you are looking for Acts 13, verse 33, let me just quickly say, that um, we are going to be opening plenty Bible because it is Bible study, and we'll be following things like systematically 
So you'll be like, ah, what's this one saying again? Bye, until you're long. But you will be fine. Amen. Okay. All right. Acts 13, verse 33. If you are there, say amen. Okay. So verse 33 says that. Let me read from verse 32. We tell you the good news, what God promised our ancestors. He has fulfilled for us their children by raising up Jesus, as it is written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Amen. So he says that that particular verse of scripture, that particular scripture, you are my son, today have I begotten you, speaks of the resurrection of Jesus. Is that clear enough? Now, the question you now be asking yourself is, does it mean that Jesus became the son of God when he rose again from the dead? Who has that question already in their mind? Eh, if I would, they do. Okay. So, it says that you are my son, this is have I begotten you. And it says that that scripture speaks of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, does that scripture mean that when Jesus rose again from the dead, he became the son of God? Actually, no. So, what did he, be, what did he give verse to him from? Is what we are going to look at quickly. Sorry, I just need to make sure that that piece is clear. And I will continue. All right. Um, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 to 6, shall I be writing? Just be writing. You will get it. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 to 6. Blessings and honor. Okay. All right. It says that, And from Jesus Christ, who is faithful witness, the firstborn from where? The dead. And the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So, you see here that this speaks of his resurrection, right? How that he gave himself for us and he calls him the firstborn from the dead. So, when the Bible says that you are my son, this day have I begotten you, what does the Bible say? The Bible says that this day I have brought you back from the dead. How does that even make sense? In Romans chapter 1, Apostle Paul made a statement that has confused people for generations, and I don't know why. <clears throat> okay, maybe not for generations. But yeah, plenty of people shall. In Romans chapter 1, mm. verse 1, it says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised before and through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who, through the spirit of holiness, was appointed the son of God in power, by his resurrection from the dead. Now, that word appointed is also the word declared. So, your own Bible may actually say declared. So, the Bible says that Jesus was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. So, what does that mean again? That means to us that by reason of the resurrection of the dead, because Jesus rose again from the dead, that was proof. Let me say it this way. The resurrection of Jesus is proof that Jesus is the Son of God. The resurrection of Jesus is proof of his divinity. You are my son. This day have I begotten you. You are my son. The proof is that you rose again from the dead. Does it make sense? Are you sure? So, when the Bible calls Jesus the firstborn, he is speaking to the resurrection of Jesus. Okay? 
when the Bible calls Jesus the firstborn, he's speaking to the resurrection of Jesus. It makes sense because when this seed was alone, it was only begotten. When he died, he multiplied so that this firstborn will bring many sons to glory. Amen. Amen. Does it make sense? Okay. So, like, all my permutations, it has sense now. I'm sorry. It just has to be that way. Let's continue. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, we see something um, similar, just to make sure that that is consistent everywhere in Scripture. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Let's first read verse 15. Because this may confuse you. Maybe. Maybe not. Verse 15 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, that particular verse is talking about how that Jesus precedes creation. Okay? Is that particular scripture is proof that Jesus was not created, that Jesus is God, eternal Father, the eternal Father. According to Isaiah's prophecy. All right? Isaiah told us that someone is coming. He is the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Almighty God. Okay, so verse 15 proves it to us again that the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, meaning that he precedes all of creation. Now, verse 18 now says, And he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning, and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have preeminence. So, here again we see that by resurrection of Jesus, he became the head of the church. The reason why we are saying all of this is this. Did you know that the, the word firstborn is the Greek word prototokos? And that word prototokos loosely means a prototype. Loosely. Basically, it means someone that comes first and like kind of like makes the way for the other people to come. Do you get? So a prototokos is we want to develop a new model of iPhones and we develop a model such that every iPhone in that stream that is coming will look like that model. Do you get? By reason of the resurrection of Jesus, we don't just have a God who is somewhere out there, who is untouched by the feelings of our infirmity, right? We have Jesus who is not ashamed to call us brethren. So, it makes a lot of sense that we are the body of Christ. It also makes a lot of sense that the way people will get to know Jesus is through his body. Because the firstborn has brought many sons to glory. Amen? Okay. Let's just be looking at the scripture. Small, small. Let's be flowing. Hebrews 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10 to 13. Are you there? It says, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one, look at this, both the one, who makes people holy and those who made who are made holy are of the same family so jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters he says 
I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I, the children God has given me. Here am I, and the children God has given me. So what do we see again? We see that all of these things I'm, I'm reading to us is to show us that the church is the image of Jesus. The church is the image of Jesus. The way the world will interact with Jesus is through his church. The way people will see the healing power of God, the way people will know the love of God, the way people will know forgiveness practically is through the church. Already, as I'm talking, you should begin to see all the anomalies that are going on in outside our context, right? You, you begin to see how that things are not right, things are not fine, because under normal circumstances, this is the ideal, that everyone who interacts with us will encounter Jesus. This is the ideal. That our communities, our church communities, not just this excellent church, but every church community will be a perfect representation of the firstborn. Because the firstborn is our prototype. Amen. Okay. The Bible says he's not ashamed to call us brethren. Isaiah 53 tells us, as we read before, that his days are prolonged in his church. The church is his image on the earth. Every interaction with the church is meant to be an encounter with Jesus. So, for example, you know, Jesus says that the way people will know that you are my disciples is that you will love one another. So, if the church is not working in that reality, we are misrepresenting our firstborn. If the church is not working in the reality of how we should actually look, we are misrepresenting the firstborn. So Jesus did not make a mistake when he told you. In two places, he said, in one place, he said, I am the light of the world. In another place, he says, you are the light of the world. He knows what he's saying. He knows that once this seed dies, by the time it is coming out, one light, if one light flickers, that one light, once it flickers and dies, it is coming out with many lights. Once this salt is tarnished and it is um, matched underfoot, it is only coming back with many salts. Once this seed is buried and it dies, it's only coming back with many seeds. So it makes sense that you are the light of the world. It makes sense that you are the salt of the earth. Amen. Okay. And so it is important that the church is working in God's plan for her. It's important that the church is everything that God has called her to be. And that's what's going to lead me to my second thought. We've exhausted the first thought. It's important that the pleasure of God will prosper in the hands of his church. Right? You know, and that's why the Bible tells us, let me just read this, Colossians 1 verse 28. It says, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So that means that what is expected as we interact with God's word, as we gather around one another, 
is that we will be presented fully mature in Christ. Amen? The Bible says he's the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Because it is important that as the firstborn is, so are we in this world. Practically. Not just in our spirits, not just in our nature, but practically. That's why Apostle John will say something like, we know that those, we know um, that you are righteous because you practice righteousness. Truth is that in your stand before God, you have been made righteous. But the way the world will know that you have been made righteous is that you walk in that righteousness. You practice it, right? In my nature, the love of God is shed abroad in my heart. But the way the world will experience that love of God when they interact with me is that I'm able to walk in that love. Do you get? The grace of Jesus, <laughs> I have received it as salvation. I am practically in that grace, right? But the way the world will get to experience that grace when they interact with me is that I'm walking in it also. I'm giving expression to it. So, oh, why important? You know, it is important for all of us to decide, to desire that our church will not just be a gathering of people. We are just doing what, what we like. We are just there. And we are not practical representations of the head of the church. Because it's just be like, I don't want to say labor in vain, because it's not actually in vain, but it, it almost begins to look like that. When you see that the original intention is that God bruised him so that out of the womb of that sacrifice will be offspring and the pleasure of God will prosper in his hands. But then every time people interact with that offspring, the offspring does not even look remotely like the person that gave birth to it. And that's why Paul now said, we are warning everybody. We are teaching everybody so that you will be mature, so that we will present you mature in Christ. So my second thought, the first thought is that what? We are his body. The second thought is that we are many parts in his body. We are many parts in his body. Don't worry, it links. Just that. I need to divide this into two so that it will be clear in my head. Whew. Okay. Are you being blessed? Okay. Thank you very much. First Corinthians 11, verse 17. Before we read it, Open it. There's a way we are meant to look like. Hmm? There's a way we are meant to look like. I've already shown you in the first part, right? There's a way we are meant to look like. But there's also provision for you to get there. There's provision for you to look like what you are meant to look like. Of course, there are many factors. There are many reasons why people may not look like what they are meant to look like, right? 
But again, from God's word, there's provision on how to be all that God has called us to be. How to be that glorious bride, that church, the glorious bride, without spot or wrinkle, right? There is guideline. There are ways to do it. Because you see, um, is one of the things we see in church is how that people can be coming to church for so long and nothing is changing. They are not becoming better. Values are not changing. Perspectives are not changing. People are actually not changing. It's very possible, right? But they are doing a lot of activity. And you see an example of them in 1 Corinthians 11, how people will just come to church, drink and eat, get drunk. But the real essence of that activity, of that communion, is not reflecting in their lives, right? It's the same way someone can serve for years as an usher or as a drummer in church or as a keyboardist, but they are not different from what they used to look like five years ago. They are literally still the same. Yeah? And then there are also these other parts of the church that these ones are actually growing, right? But like the parable of the sower, they are bearing fruits in 30s and some in 60s and some in 100s. And that's an entirely different teaching, but it actually relates to this. But yeah, so it also shows that it's even possible that all of us are hearing the same word, right? But out of all of us are hearing the same word, some are bearing fruits of 30, some are bearing fruits of 60, and some are bearing fruits of 100. Just gave the reason why in that parable, if you can find it, you'll see it. <laughs> Amen. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 11 verse 17. Let's get into the meat of the teaching. Unto the ancient of days. Are you ready? Okay, verse 17. The Bible says, uh, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Um, in the KJV, it says that in this I praise you not, for your gathering is not for the better, but for the worse. Right? So it was pointing us to something that. When we gather, there is an end to gathering. The end of our gathering is that we are better. Our gathering is actually meant to be that we are better, that we are edified, that we are presented mature in Christ. Okay? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. It says, What then shall we say, brothers, and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Did you see that? Again, it tells us the expectation of our gatherings. That when we gather, the end is that the church is built up. The end is that the church is edified. And that's why Paul was not happy with the Corinthians in chapter 11, when he told them that your gathering is not for the better, but for the worse. That means that what you are doing is contrary to what is expected in the gathering of the saints. In the gathering of the saints, what is expected is that we become better, that the church is built up, that we become better versions of ourselves, that we are edified. Amen? Okay. That said, beyond the fact that you know, um, when we gather, we are edified. That 1 Corinthians 14 verse 26 also points us to something very important. I'm going to like, lay a bit of emphasis on in this second part. Is that the gathering of the saints 
is an invitation to participate. The gathering of the saints is an invitation to participate. Your change, your edification, you becoming a better version of yourself actually rests in your participation. Many times, people think that, and that's why there is an issue with, you know, the old COVID thing, what COVID brought about, how that, you know, people are just listening online and then they are not coming to church. And so they are missing a vital part of the gathering of the saints, which is participation. Many times we are treating church like, you know, um, like you're going to a concert where you want to go and watch the best choir in Ibadan or the best choir in Lagos. You're not going to listen to the best choir in Lagos. You're not going to listen to the most eloquent preacher in Adamawa, right? And so, of course, you listen. Of course, you are blessed. Of course, you get to learn a few things. But you are not maximizing the purpose of the church because you are not participating. According to 1 Corinthians 14, what 1 Corinthians 14 tells us in that verse we read, verse 26, it says that when we come together, brothers and sisters, each one of you, has something to offer. Each person has something to offer. A hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. It now says that all of those things be done to the end that the church is built up. When we gather together, everyone has something to offer that will build up another person. Everybody has something to offer. You will be surprised at the kind of giftings and abilities that God has put in people. Sometimes we think that the gifts of the Spirit are just the spectacular things. But you'll be surprised when we get to Romans chapter 12. You'll be surprised that you actually have something to offer. And if you are not offering, if you are not participating, the church will not become mature. The maturing of the church is not just in the hearing of the word. The maturing of the church is in everything. It is in participation. Amen? Okay. Look at chapter 4 of Ephesians. I know that Bible study sometimes can be boring because I don't have examples and stories for days. Don't worry. When I grow older in ministry, I'll be having stories. Okay. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 to 16. If you are there, say amen. Hope you are following and you are writing. No, I'll soon tell you about your writing. All right, um, 15 to 16. It says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the edge, that is Christ. From him, watch this, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It says that the way the body of Christ is actually designed to grow is that each part does its work. Did you hear that? Each part is doing something to the end that the entire body is maturing. To the end that the entire body will mature. Do you understand that? Each part must be doing something. Each part must be doing something. Bible says that when we come together, every one of you, each one of you, has something to offer. Let's look at some examples. Romans 12, verse 4 to 8. Romans chapter 12, verse 4 
Remember what I said, that the gathering of the saints is an invitation to participate, not just to be a spectator, not just to sit down and listen. Like, oh, wow, Pastor Sam is so profound. That's like, this is a shade, actually. That's why, you know, you go on Twitter, and then maybe an amazing pastor just preached a sermon in maybe any amazing church, and then people just come on Twitter and say that, ah, Pastor Sam, they preach. That's not what they sent you to church to go and do. And I'm actually serious. There's, there's a way that you, you come to church and you're looking for quotable quotes. You will not grow. You will remain a child. If all you come to church for is quotable quotes, like, ah, Pastor Sam just said this thing, very profound, you are not ready. Because we, what, if, what if you need to um, teach another person? And all you can remember is, ah, I even remember that my pastor said that, you know, if you aspire to acquire your Maguire, um, everything's going to be all right. You will not burn in hellfire. You know, you won't grow. You won't grow. And you will see that people, me, I'm talking from experience. You know the way Pastor Ajay says that she's a veteran Christian? I'm not as old as Pastor Ajay, but I'm a veteran Christian. I was born in church. In fact, before I was born, they had been seeing me in church. Do you get, all right, and I'm not even joking. <laughs> So I'm very, very veteran. I'm, I'm like pre-birth veteran. The people that God help my life. The people that when you go to church, all that they are after is to hear something profound. That they just go, mm. now I'm not saying that saying mm is bad because there are times when you hear something, it just goes, wow, profound. But like, that's what you are living for. You will not grow. And I will show you, I will actually show you from scripture that you will not grow. Your growth is hinged on your participation. You must participate. I'm, I'm going to give you two perspectives on participation, but I just want to exhaust this. That everyone has something to offer. That's the first thing. Everyone has something to offer. In Romans chapter 12, verse 4 to uh, 8, let me show you. Verse 4 to 8. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. Did you see that? Did you see that? It says that we are, many bo we are one body with many members, right? It now says that each member does not have the same function. Okay. So in Christ we, though we are many, we form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Did you see that? Each member belongs to who? All the others. Now, of course, that does not mean that another woman belongs to another man, and then you guys are going to like get married or something. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Okay. But each member belongs to one another, and there's context to that. It now says we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Let me just quickly divert a little bit. You know, someone once asked me that does that scripture mean that we have different graces? Yes. Yes. I just thought I should tell you. But there's context to it again. The Bible is not a dictionary. Grace does not have one meaning. Is that clear? I don't want to go too deep into it, but if you go to chapter 4 of Ephesians, let me just quickly read this to you, but I'm not explaining it because you only time. 
in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse, please put your hand back in Romans. Though. I just want to quickly show you something. <laughs> verse 7, Ephesians 4 verse 7. It says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. It says that grace has been given as Christ apportioned it in measures. In that same context, it now says that when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. And he gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers to equip the saints. And then later on, it now says that, in fact, for the entire body to grow, every part of the body must play its own part. Grace in that context speaks of function. It's the same thing that Romans is saying. It says that so in Christ do many form one body. It says we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us, according to the function. We have gifts according to the function. In case you are not seeing what I'm saying again, let me show you. It says that in verse 4, it says that we are members, but all of us do not have the same function. It also says that but he has given us gifts according to the function. Does it make sense? He gave us gifts according to the grace that has been given to us. He gave us gifts according to the function that has been given to you. So remember, there is the body with different parts. Each part has a function. And because each part has a function, it has giftings and abilities that are specific to that part. Do you understand? It is the same DNA that is through that is running through the entire body. It's the same blood. It's the same source of life that is running through the entire body, right? In the context of the church, I don't want to talk about the gifts of the spirit, but let me just quickly say this. In the context of the church, you can walk in all the gifts as the need demands, but specific to you, there are certain abilities that you excel in because it gave us gifts according to function. Do you understand that? It makes zero sense to think that only you we will work in all the gifts. I dare to say that you will not work in all the gifts. There is a sense of, I have to be all in all. I have to be champion. You cannot work in all the gifts, I'm sorry. Because the reason why you will not work in all the gifts is that the way Jesus designed the church is that every part does its work. And each part of the body as giftings that are peculiar to their function. So he says that he gave us gifts according to the grace that he has given to us. Is that clear? He now says, if your gift is prophesying, verse 6, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. He did not say that. Okay, let me leave it. Don't let me overflow it. If your gift is prophesying, prophesy according to your faith. If it is service, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. Are you beginning to see something here? That apart from the nine gifts spoken of in 1 Corinthians 12, is that teaching is also an ability of the Spirit. Okay. It says, if it is serving, serve. If it is teaching, teach. If it is to encourage, it says... Give encouragement. Guess what? It says giving is an ability of the Spirit. It says if it is giving, then give generously. It says if it is uh, leadership, it says do it diligently. It says if it is to show mercy, 
He says, do it cheerfully. So when we say that everyone has something to offer, it is actually literal. Literally, everyone has something to offer. You know the beautiful thing about this is that the Bible tells us here that if you are, if it is giving, right, you should give generously. But the Bible also tells us something, that if you are lacking in an ability, right, you can earnestly desire it, right? So if, you know what this thing shows me is that if I find myself lacking in giving, if I find, out, find myself not giving as I ought to, maybe I just need a staring on my inside. I can desire that I will abound in giving. You can actually desire it. And again, you are desiring in the context. First Corinthians 14 tells us that you should desire 12. So you should desire the best gifts. Or, better said, the gifts that edify the church. Let me say it this way. It says you should desire the gifts to the end that you will edify the church. So the reason why you are desiring to work in a certain gift and ability of God is so that you can be, you can play your part. Do you get? It's so that you can edify the church. It's so that you can help another person. So if I see that I am lacking in giving, I can pray and stir up the abilities of God on my inside so that I can give. Because it is to the end that the church becomes better. Everyone has something to offer. But you will look at yourself and you will know that there is something in me that I tend to excel in. It could be teaching. So you will go on ahead and teach other believers. It could be to encourage. You will encourage other believers. It could be to show mercy. You know, you may have met some people um, in church who they tend to know things about you in a very weird way. Like, they tend to pay attention. And it's as if they are our high priests. They, they are touched by the feelings of our infirmities. I have an example like that. When, I was in, when we were in TBC, Badon, we had a sister. I like using an example anytime I'm talking about the gifts of the spirits. Sister Wumi. I play a lot, right? So I, I can be using my Erepa to, to, as a mask to cover uh, maybe I'm feeling bad about something, I'm hurt about something, or I'm anxious about something. And despite all of my playing, Sister Wumi will still come. I say, Shaye, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I'm fine. I share you are not fine. Talk to me. Kilo share. Star with me. I am fine. Because there is an ability called mercy. All that. So I remember one time, um, there was this guy, he was drumming. And I have a story. Let me just say it quickly. He was drumming. It was after service. You know how that guy can just stay at the drums and just be playing and stuff. So he was just drumming there. And then Star with me came to me and she said, Share, go and collect that guy's phone number. I'm like, what now? Like, go and talk to him now. Just talk to him. And I said, eh, I'm serious. So talk to him, talk to him. So I went there. I was like, ah, guy, fine. Are you fine? Okay, okay. It was kind of new in church. So I wasn't really talking to him before then. So I sat down and we started talking. And I didn't know that this guy was going through so much. Like, he was actually using that drum to distract himself. He didn't want to go back to school. So he just sat down there and he was drumming. And I'm like, how did Sister Wumi know? I'm telling you that there are abilities of God on your inside that you will supply to be of help to another person because everyone has something to offer. It does not have to be a pulpit, um, a pulpit gift. Do you understand? The Bible says it could be given. 
The Bible says it could be leading. The Bible says it could be service. Some people will, may not do well in any altar ministry except to help clean church and um, set up logistics and all of those things. Because it's also an ability of God on the inside of a believer. Is that clear? Everyone has something to offer. But you see, there are two perspectives to participation. I've told you one perspective already. And that perspective is supply. You have something to offer. So supply it, right? The second perspective to participation is submission. Submission. I'll just breeze through it. So it is submission to one another. And this is what I mean by submission. Is that someone can supply to you. And you will not receive because you don't want to, in quote, submit. Submission is that someone is supplying and you are in a position to receive. You put yourself in a position to receive. This applies both to one another and to pastoral structures that are meant to edify you. So it is submission to teachings in church. For example, structures in church that are meant to edify you. So for example, um, teaching. So Pastor comes up and he is teaching. One of the ways to participate is to actually pay attention and write. Because remember what I said, that your participation is where your maturing will come from. Your participation is in both supplying and also submitting to receive of God through other believers. So that means that when pastor is teaching, you will sit down, you will write, you will pay attention to what is being communicated. You see, there, is a, there are people who think that they are mature enough, so they won't write. Um, they feel like, I know already, I can keep it in my mind. I'm a man of God. I've, done, I've been doing this for the past 17 years, so I won't write. You will not grow. You will not. Because the structure for growth, the structure for people to become better versions of, our, of themselves, the way God designed it, that the church will be presented as a mature bride without spot or wrinkle, right, is that they will participate. And participation is not just that, oh, I always have something to offer. I always have something to offer. You must also submit so that you will receive. So that means that you will sit down, you will receive God's word. You are not too big to sit down to receive God's word. So you also see um, some of the examples is how that, um, you know, maybe people serving in departments like ushering, um, tech, um, IT people. I'm sorry, why, why am I saying IT? Sound and, can it, sound and media, all of them. Sound, media people ushering, instrumentalists. There's that thing of, I am busy in service, so I cannot write. I cannot join the worship. You will not grow. You will not. And so you look at yourself, years from now, you are still carrying the same mindset, the same satanic worldviews, up and down. Because you are not receiving in church. You are just doing church. You are just coming to church and you are esteeming one aspect of participation over another. You are saying, oh, I am serving. I am serving. I am serving. I'll tell you what serving alone does. I'll tell you what both will do for you. 
You are serving, but you are not receiving. You are not participating in the things that will actually make you yourself receive. Because what submission will do to you is that you will learn. You will grow by knowledge. What service will do to you is that by reason of use, you, be, you gain mastery over the gifts of God that are in you. Service gives you, gives you mastery. Do you understand that? Service gives you mastery. But mastery is not enough. Mastery over giftings is not enough. That will not give you growth. Do you understand that? What will make you grow is both of them. Both of them together. That you will submit to the teaching of God's word. You will participate in church. When they are singing, you will sing along. Because when you are singing, what the Bible teaches us is that our singing teaches and admonishes us. I hope you know that. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with melody in your ass to the Lord. So you see that our singing is to an end that our hearts and our hearts are taught and admonished right so if you now say that i am such a big person you know you know all those people i don't know if you've seen them but i've seen them and i've been them where you attend the meeting everybody's just singing and you're like kill me then you know stay just be holy you are not ready you will not grow you will not grow because the singing has a purpose. The singing is, number one, for you to offer up the sacrifice of praise, right? The fruit of your lips. Number two is that you are taught and admonished. So that moment that you are using to form, I'm a big person, eh? You will not grow because you are not being taught and admonished. Do you understand that? You must participate. Your growth is in the participation. Your growth is actually in the participation. You have to participate. You have to. Is non-negotiable. It's not that, like, oh, I, I'm, in the, I'm in ushering, so I'm always directing people to sit down, so that's why I cannot join in the singing. You, you are not ready to grow. Oh, oh, I'm in media. You know, I'm always behind the camera. Oh, oh, I'm, I'm with the sound. I'm, 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 I'm very busy. I'm very busy. Can you see? I'm monitoring the mixer. I'm monitoring the mixer. You are not ready to grow. You cannot tell me. The thing is that for me, right, I have seen, I've seen people I, I served in a fellowship on campus, and maybe because campus people are more serious sometimes. All those people, instrumentalists, uh, sound people, ushers, they are paying attention. They are participating in service. That's how I knew that that thing is a scam. When you say that, oh, I'm busy. I'm very busy. Can't you say I'm ushering? That's why I cannot participate. It's a scam. You're lying. You can participate. You can write. You can listen. Do you understand that? Amen. Okay. Okay. Hallelujah. Who? Let me look at my notes again. Okay. Are we clear so far? Are you sure? Okay. Let me say some, some more things about our gathering. So remember what I said? That... As the body of Christ, as members of the body of Christ, we must participate. Your participation is what will preserve you. Right? Your participation will preserve you. That's why you cannot be living in Lagos, like Pastor Sam says. You cannot be living inside Lagos, these Lagos that we are in, together like this. And you will say that um, you want to join Sunday service on Mixer. Oh, tea ready. 
your participation will preserve you. I'm going to show you that now because it's not just, it's not, sometimes you don't see the implication of these things. Trust me, if you had not been participating in church, your life would be way worse. Terrible, terrible things would have happened to you. Terrible things, not in righteousness, in unrighteousness. And I know what I'm saying. I remember back in UI, 100 level, I started a, a, a thing. I didn't start it actually. One of my friends, there were these twins who were next door. And then we used to talk a lot. Very fervent guys. And they, I remember them telling me then that, oh, let's start a worship meeting on Chapel Ground. And it, it just really felt like a working of God. And then Chapel Ground, we gathered on our first meeting. So many people. And you know, I used to just my roommates that, ah, we're having a worship meeting. We're having a worship meeting. We didn't even have a name for it. We just called it worship meeting. And I remember one time it was passing by in source. And I was like, wow, I didn't know that you guys are actually this big old. It was sometimes people used to confuse this with Tara's meeting. I did not mean to mention that. Okay, so people used to confuse this with other meetings on, on chapel, but it was actually not those meetings. It was actually a worship meeting. Just these 200 level guys gathering people and we'll be singing worship and then we'll teach God's word. But, so these other two guys, one of them, because they are twins, right? One of them suddenly stopped going to church. But it wasn't actually surging. It was just small, small. All right? You just say things like, oh, I want to wash clothes on Sunday. So he will wash. He will stay back in the hostel and wash clothes. Others will go to church. Sometimes he will go. Sometimes he will say he wants to use Sundays to wash clothes. So he was washing clothes a lot. And he was backsliding the more. That guy will remain an example in my head of what it means when the Bible says we should not forsake the guardian of the saints. I'm going to read it to you, but that guy always exemplifies this in my head. You know how that Jesus used to pass across now in school? And you know they're not lying. So you know the people that are having sex. You know, right? You know university Jesus now. You know the people that are having sex. You know the people that have like six girlfriends. You know who is cheating on who? You always know those Jesus. And you, you don't know because you're a child of God. (laughs) But yes, so we used to hear those Jesus and um, they were legit. Trust me, they were legit. So I remember this uh, other guy, you know, he wasn't going to church, he wasn't doing anything. And then all the tendencies that I've been waiting for him before. You know, all of you have tendencies like this. You have some things that are just waiting for you to manifest. They are just waiting for you to leave church. Just leave church for like five weeks. They will find the expression. So all those things that were inside him began to find expression. I remember that he got to the stage where his friends were calling meetings in his room, like, guy, let's talk. And this guy was telling them, that we have seen everything. I have healed sick body before. I have prayed for sick people and they got healed. I know because we held worship meetings together. We had those testimonies and they were legit testimonies. So he would tell you, he was telling them that we've seen all these things. We've seen some, something disappear. We've seen this, we've seen this. There's nothing new you want to say. So he didn't go to church again. And the bad news just kept on re- reoccurring. Now, guess what? Gathering of the saints, Abby, his twin brother, was still fervent for a while. But you see, the more you interact with Satan, I'm sorry, not Satan, but the more you interact with certain realities, it's either you bend to that reality or that reality submits to you. But sometimes, influences can be great. So this is my brother in the Lord, also stopped going to church and also said doing weird things. I also said hearing bad news. And I remember that for the first time in my life, I didn't used to be very firm with people, but for the first time, I remember seeing him somewhere outside, and I said, guy, 
you know you are not in a good place and you need to source it out. I said, I know, I know, I know. It's like, I'm not joking. You are not in a good place. And to think that me, that I'm always timid to tell people things like that, ah, ah, man, God will help you. I have to tell him, like, bro, bro, <laughs> you are not in a good place. So now let me show you from scripture. The statement I don't want to make, the scripture will make it for us. Amen. All right. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4 to 13. Don't worry, I'll soon finish. Just means like two pages. Only. Have you learned anything so far? Are you sure? Sometimes I don't like telling stories because I feel like I'll distract people from the real thing. You've learned so far, right? Your participation is important. Your growth, your maturing is in your participation. Participation as to perspectives is both in supply and submission. Okay? It is not just supply. You cannot just be exercising your gifts, exercising your gifts. And that is why we have ministers today who are very gifted, but they are not grounded. So you, you go to a church where you, you will not hear anything that will change your life. I am not joking. But you will see giftings because they've exercised it. Exercising gifts, Kole, just keep serving. Just keep serving. Keep giving and you become more generous. Keep showing mercy and you become more merciful. Keep leading and you become a better leader. Okay. Chapter 3 of Hebrews, we read from verse 4 to 13. We may jump some verses, but from verse 4. The Bible says, For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to that, to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. Amen. It says that we are his house if we hold firm. Guess what? It didn't even say that if you sin. But the sin part is there. I will show you. <laughs> but I'm coming first. It didn't even say that if you make mistakes, you know, um, you told a white lie or a black lie, or, you know, you kept passages change and all of those things. It didn't say that when you do that, that um, you are no longer his house. It says that what makes a person to stop being his house is that they no longer hold firm to what they have believed. Amen? Is that they no longer hold firm to what they have believed. This thing I just said is scattered all over the epistles, but selective reading will not allow us to see it. So sometimes, you know how people say things like the book of Hebrews is difficult to understand because it keeps like breaking your tables and stuff. Until you open your eyes and you read 1 Corinthians and you see it's there, littered. And you open Colossians and you see it's there, littered. And you open <laughs> Ephesians and you see it's there, littered. Then you know it's not an Hebrews problem. It is a you problem. Amen. Okay. So it says that we are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. If indeed we hold firm. If indeed we keep believing. We keep trusting. We are his house. Is that clear? Now, maybe we should jump. It now says in, who? Help me, Lord. Verse 12. It says, see to his brothers and sisters, 
that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. It says, we have come to share in Christ, if indeed. Look at it again, saying exactly the same thing. It says we are partakers of Christ on a condition, if we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. But he's now saying something here that is a bit scary. He says that we should encourage one another. We should meet. We should encourage one another. He says, so that people will not be addened by the deceitfulness of sin. Guess what? So he's saying that the sin is not the problem yet. Until you guys separate yourselves and then you are addened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know what it means to be addened? Paul calls it conscience seared with hot iron. So, over time, that's why I'm telling you that the guardian of the saints is your preservation. You yourself, you know that your head is not really correct before, before on a normal day, right? Now, the guardian of saints has been guarding you, has just been keeping you like, hmm, let's just be keeping his life, let's just be keeping his life. Until you leave five weeks, I just give you five weeks, those things will begin to manifest. Because the goal of Satan is for you to lose hold of your conviction, to deny him. So he's going to keep bringing it, bringing it until you are addened by the deceitfulness of sin. And this place is telling us that a believer can be addened by the deceitfulness of sin. But he told us the solution. The solution is that we will encourage one another as long as it is called today. You see why you cannot, you cannot ignore the guardian of the saints. You cannot. You have no reason to. You literally have no reason to. Because if you ignore it, the Bible says that there is a possibility. There is something lurking behind your door. It is called hardness of heart. It is possible. And I know what I'm saying. Because, you know, you've seen Christians, right, who are probably struggling with things. And you will know that what is keeping this guy is church. I'm sure Pastor Sam has said that to us before. That what is keeping many of us is church is that we keep hearing God's word, and that word is doing a work on our inside. It's doing a cleansing on our inside, because that's what Jesus did, right? He said that he gave himself up, so that he will wash his bride with the washing of water by the word, so that he will present her to himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. So there is a working through the teaching of God's word. As we fellowship around God's word, there is a working on our inside, clear, cleansing those bits of unrighteousness, and cleansing those impurities, and uprooting those trees that our Father in heaven did not plant. But, Omo, when you stay away, what the Bible says is that some people, if they stay away, they can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And it's not talking to unbelievers. It's talking to Christians. A Christian can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Is that clear? So you see that it's the guardian of sin that is saving you. Let me show you another one. Chapter 10 of Hebrews. Don't worry, I'm almost done. I'm not almost done. Sorry, I knew it was going to be long, but not, I'm not going to get past two. I'm very sorry. Pastor Sam will not give me past two. Because, so, just, like, endure this moment. Pastor I love you. But, you know, this is my first time I've done something like this. Chapter 10, verse 23 to 26. Are you there? Okay. 23, the Bible says that... Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. 
For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, this is another thing about our gathering. It says that when we gather, we can spur one another towards love and good works. Some of you know that I didn't have a prayer life until you started gathering around people who had a prayer life. Some of you know that I didn't used to read your Bible until you started gathering around people who were reading their Bibles. Because the gathering of the saints will spur you towards love and good works. The church is important. It is too important. Too important for you. Because the end is simple. That we may present every man mature in Christ. That the church will be the perfect representation of the firstborn. That literal interactions with the church is an encounter with God. This also shows you that the reason why you are making bad choices is because you are hanging around people who continually make bad choices. Because our gathering will spur us towards certain works and deeds. Amen. Amen. The guardian of the saints will preserve you. Say the guardian of the saints. Will preserve me. My final thoughts. Number three. This one is fast. But again, I just know that today while I was preparing, I knew that the Lord wants to enter certain people, you know, and it's not my fault. I'm also being entered as I'm preparing my message for myself. Do you get? So we are all in this together. We're all in this together. Okay, number three. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. That's the third um, conversation, the third point. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. We saw that already in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Yeah? That the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, this is super important. It is very important. So I'll just talk a little bit about a part of this, and then we'll go. The church and our truth is not progressive. The word of God, the truth of this gospel, does not morph into trends. Do you understand that? The truth of God's word, the truth of this gospel, does not morph into trends. And that is why the church is the steward of truth is the ground, the pillar of the truth. Everything that will be known about God, that will be known about God's will, God's counsel, God's values, will be communicated by the church. It is an anomaly that the church is trying to morph into trends. I call this emerging trends. It is not normal. It is not normal that the word of God, we are trying to fit in the word of God into emerging trends. Amen? Amen? The child of God must be grounded in the truth. And the church provides the platform for that. Look at Acts chapter 20. So, 
Trust me, I'll soon finish. I'm trying my best. Acts chapter 20. Don't worry, next time, if Pastor Sam says, Shay, you're preaching, I'll just ask that. It's like person and two. So if he says it's only one part, I'll adjust. Acts 20, 27 to 28. Are you there? Okay. Uh, it says, uh, For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole counsel of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you, and they will not spare the flock. So, this is, again, this is the ideal. This is the expectation. The expectation is that you are fed. So, you're coming to the gathering of the saints. What is expected is that you are fed because the church itself is the ground and pillar of the truth. You are fed with God's word, God's truth, God's entire counsel, God's values. God's values. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14, which is like the last scripture I'm going to read. Now just say everything this I should tell you. You know, because you're not the one that called me, so I'm just going to say it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 14. It says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, to equip, equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Remember what I said at the beginning again? That the end is that we are, every man is presented mature in Christ. Right? And the Bible now tells us that it gave us ministry gifts so that they can build us into maturity. Paul says that the essence of the ministry gifts is to keep you fed. Because ravaging wolves are coming to feed on, to feast on the flock, to look for how to eat, eat up the flock, Right? What the Bible says is that you are meant to be fed. So, you know you're already in a place where you are being fed. But you decide that, hey, you know, I can listen. I can listen online. I'm coming. I'll tell you something now. So, let me just say what I'm saying. The church is the place where you are fed with God's values, with the truth of God's word. And that truth is unwavering. I know what I'm saying. No. That truth cannot change. It cannot waver. It cannot morph into emerging trends. Do you understand what I'm saying? That truth is stable. It is forever. Like, it doesn't change. And everyone who comes into the garden of the saints must receive of the truth the way it is. Because the church is the ground and the pillar. Do you know what it means? That the church is the pillar of the truth. Do you get that? The church is the pillar of the truth. That said, the Bible now says in verse 14, it says that we will no longer be children, infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of doctrine and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Now, waves of doctrine, are you listening to me? Waves of doctrine can be heresies, right? Heresies and teachings of God's word that are already skewed and twisted. But I hope you know that waves of doctrine are also um, popular worldly philosophies that stand in contradistinction to God's word. 
Now, you will see why I kept on emphasizing that the word of God cannot change. The word of God is not progressive. The word of God does not morph into trends. Are you listening to me? The word of God does not do any of those things. It is stable. It is rooted. It is grounded. It is what it is. The word of God. Right? But then, you now go on Twitter, for example, or any social media platform. And one alpha male is telling you that this is how, you know, you should conduct yourself towards women. And you so you are saying, wow, insights, insights, insights. You are a child. You are being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. The reason why that is happening to you is because you are not receiving the fullness of the church. Remember what I said? Your participation will preserve you. You have allowed your mind to go everywhere such that where you are meant to be standing mature, you are making yourself an infant. One angry woman on Twitter will come and tell you that men, oh, <laughs> they are this, they are that, they are this, they will mess up your life. You see, you take it in. It begins to define your worldview. You are a child. One cool kid from America will come and tell you that, you know, we need to be more accommodating, you know, of the rainbow people. We need to be more accommodating. We need to have more rainbow pastors. We need to have more queer theology. I literally saw that. I was just in these guys. We need to have more people, you know, um, skilled in queer theology. You are a child. And because you see, you will listen to it, and you begin to think that's true, you know, we need to be more accommodating. Why can't our pastor just be gay? Your pastor cannot be gay. Do you understand that? Your pastor cannot be gay. The church is the ground and pillar of the truth. It has to be the pillar of the truth. Nothing is meant to shake it. When you are shaking, it is a simple symptom pointing you to something. You are a child. When the word of God presents a fact to you, right? The word of God presents a fact to you, but something you saw on social media is redefining your worldview. The Bible says you are being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You are a child. And you need to grow up. And I've told you how to grow up in the first two conversations. Amen? You need to grow up. You can't keep being children. You cannot. You cannot keep being children. It's because we have many children that churches are looking for strategies to get people. So when we want to market our church, we say that our church is a cool church for millennials and Gen Zs. It's because we are breeding goats. Do you understand that? Like, no, it's not an insult. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I'm just quoting Charles Spurgeon. All right. And I'm quoting Charles Spurgeon. Yes, thank you very much. So pay attention to me. I'm serious. I'm actually very serious. This is important to me. Do you know why it's important to me? Because over and over and over again, you will think that people are growing, right? Until you see them tweet something. You see them say something. And you're like, we are going to the same church, oh. Pastor is teaching also. Oh, I know this person's church now. Their pastor is sound. But they sound like the angry woman on Twitter. But their pastor is sound. They sound like alpha male. But their pastor is sound. They sound like the cool kid from America who likes rainbow people. The church cannot keep condoning childishness. You must grow up. And I've told you how to grow up. You will participate. 
you will participate. It is in that participation that we spur ourselves to love and good works. It is in that participation we become better versions of ourselves. It is in that participation that we mature. It is in the participation. It is important. I've told you again, participation, two perspectives of participation, supply and what? And submission. So it's not just supplying and supplying and supplying. I'm serving. I'm trying my best. I'm carrying speakers. I'm singing in the choir. I'm trying. I'm trying. And what is only happening to you is that you are gaining mastery over your gifts. But you are not just you are not growing. Do you get your worldview, your values are not changing. You are only gaining mastery over your gifts. This is the end of my para. Have you been blessed? Say from henceforth, my head is correct. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you. Hey.